Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 144 with our guest, Scott Husing. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is a proven combat leader. He is a retired United States Marine Corps infantry major with 24 years of honorable service with a career spanning 10 deployments to over 60 countries worldwide. Meet Scott Husing. Scott's best-selling book, Echo in Ramadi, is a snapshot in time that changed the face of operations on the battlefield. It's not simply a war story. It is about the people and the power of human connection that speaks about leadership, team building, and overcoming adversity under the toughest conditions. And isn't that something we can all relate to? Today, Scott is the executive director of Save the Brave, a certified nonprofit that connects veterans through outreach programs. Help me welcome to the show, the Scott Husing. What's up, my man? Hey, Josh, it's good to be on The Hidden Entrepreneur, and I'm so grateful every time I have the opportunity, because you and I met, like so many of my my friends, that, and I call them friends, even though we've never met in person, on LinkedIn, I believe, and, and I saw Correct. the show, and I dialed it up, I said, man, this is legit, and I really wanted to be a part of the show, so we just reached out, and we started connecting, and 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 kind of sniffing each other out, as we, as we do, to... to <laughs> resumes and report is everything. So I was really happy to be a guest on the show because you, like many in the podcast medium, are sharing amazing stories. And what I love about podcasting, and this isn't just because I co-host the show, is the new modern library of the world. Mm. Because every episode you talk, if I want to learn about head sitting or fighting in combat or fixing a car, all of these little volumes are forever captured on the internet. And I think that it's accessible once you record it, it lives forever, much like a library. And I think that the library itself, the parochial library, it's kind of shrinking. So I don't think a lot of people take trips to the library, but now we live on our phones. So you're like, oh, I need to learn about this. or I want to listen to this. And you get it right from the subject matter expert, which I think is really cool. So I'm 
glad to be a uh, part of the show and talk about, um, you know, kind of my story and how I'm tied into what I do now. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about before the show a little bit, a little bit in between the lines of what I do in my life and, and how I stay busy and stay connected. Like, like yeah. it's a big part of your, how you run your program and the message you send, which I read. And that's only one dimensional aspect of what you do. But I, that's what I was really picking up on is how you talked about that. Even in your quick little bio on your page, I really like how the authenticity of what you do is so important. And I, I truly believe that and, and ripping off that mask. And we use that term and I've, I've written about that as well as we call the mask of command, how you have one way you present yourself in certain settings or in front of troops. And there's another mask you wear in different settings, which I think um, was a theme where I, I really, I really connected to what you do on your program. What a great connection. Let's go down that path. Because um, for me, the mask I wore much of my life did not serve me well. It was, um, it was an excuse. I was using it to hide behind fear, seek the approval of others to try to feel better about myself. And we know that that's not the formula. But I love how you connected it to, to your industry in the military. Um, is there a difference in that context where it was necessary? Did I pick up on that? Or what, where you Absolutely. Had to, yeah, tell, tell me about how that mask differs. Well, Brian McCoy, who is uh, one of my friends and fellow Marines, wrote a great book called The, the, the Passion of Command. And in that book, he also talks about the masks that you have to wear. So as a, as a commander of anywhere from 30 to 2,500 Marines at any given time, there's obvious boundaries that you have to establish. And I always say that I was never there to be a friend to the Marines I led, especially in combat, because they've got enough friends. They only have one commander. And that's an important thing to do. So you do have to wear a mask in in a sense and still figure out a way to be authentic and approachable to to those who lead and to try I do and, and I wish I'd had someone teach me this earlier on in my career as a leader about the importance of making that human connection and understanding the people at the individual level because that was one of the things that made our organization so great as we fought in Ramadi Iraq in 06 during the height of the insurgency was it wasn't that my Marines were some elite handpicked unit Josh they they were not about them, but we as a unit of over 250 Marines had this remarkable chemistry that really bonded us. It still bonds us to this day, and we still stay very connected in what we do, not only through, but when guys need to reach back out and stay connected for success in life or for a cover letter or for a letter recommendation to a police force or the master's program, you know, it makes me proud that they still feel that they can reach out to me. I think that that in order to be successful, because I think there are certain situations where you can't lay it all out on the table. And, and I think that especially in the Marine Corps, which is in a sense a, a very rich organization steeped in tradition that 
you know, we have a certain persona and a certain image to maintain, but I don't think that weighs on you when you strap your boots on every day and think, Oh, I got to act this way or I need to portray myself this way in front of my, my people, because the men and women that serve in the military, they want that authenticity and they, they need that in their leaders. You, you had a 24 year run in the core, right? And you started, I'm guessing, um, at the bottom and literally worked your way up. How, what do you think was in place personally and professionally that allowed you to ascend so amazingly like that? Well, I enlisted right out of high school and I did, I went to Marine Corps Recruit Depot right in Southern California, San Diego. And then after Desert Shield, Desert Storm kind of figured the air of my ways as a, as a, Horrible, horrible high school student with a stellar 1.24 GPA. So I don't know if you can beat that. I doubt any of the listeners can beat that. I challenge people. <laughs> so after my first enlistment, I said, I need to get an education. I went to college and I graduated in three years, which I say because it's a testament to what the Marine Corps, what the military institutionally and organizationally gives to young men and women that discipline to succeed. And after my graduation from college, I got my commission as an officer in the Marine Corps, which later propelled me into the streets of Ramadi, which I wrote about mm. in Echo and Ramadi in, in 2006, some 15 years later. But that, that whole career path for me is what we call being a Mustang. You're a horse of different colors. You're enlisted and an officer. So I always say as well that it didn't make me a better officer. It didn't make me a better leader because I was enlisted first, but I had an absolute better perspective and and respect for what that young Marine or soldier goes through on a daily Mm. basis. And I think that's an important component as a leader. Yeah. Why the Marines specifically in your case? Like many, I got roped in by a friend. They said, hey, man, guess what I just did today? (laughs) I called him back. I said, what? He said, I joined the Marine Corps. I had no idea what the Marine Corps was. No family history of service in, in the Marine Corps. And I had led a very young life of high risk behavior. I was fighting. I drank underage. I ran from the cops. I fought, I got caught by the cops. And when I got introduced to the, the Marine Corps, you go in and the, the, the room is covered with all these posters and the uniforms and medals. And I, and the way these guys talk, they just suck you in. And I thought, man, this is the biggest group of risk takers I've ever met. They're a perfect fit. Where do I sign? So I enlisted with pretty much no idea of what I was getting myself into. And, and, a short time after my my first year is when Desert Shield, Desert Storm kicked off. And that, wow. that was my introduction into the Marine Corps. Um, I, I love how you started painting the picture of your, your more youthful years, uh, right? Those teenage years, um, underage drinking, you said, fighting, getting into trouble, running from the law. Why all of that, do you think? Well, I think that it's a natural reaction. We don't have a lot of supervision as a, as a, as a teen. I did not. And the Marine Corps and the military as well, it, it attracts people like that. I, I, I could write some 
doctrinal thesis on, I suppose. I, I just don't have that much energy to think that because of the sense of, of, of family and structure that the Marine Corps offers, I think internally as humans, we all need that to some degree. Uh, obviously, there's gradients. Uh, the Marine Corps gives you the most and then maybe maybe on down with the Navy, Army, Air Force being the least structured and disciplined, but that's an inter-service rivalry joke. But anything that the military officers, I think, gives young men and women what, what they really need in life, and, and it creates opportunities for them, um, not only while they're serving their country and doing what less than one half of 1% of the entire American population volunteer to do, mm. but afterwards in their success in college or education or entrepreneurship or business or in the private sector, whatever it is they choose to do once they transition from the military, I think that that type of training and that type of cohesion at, at every level in the military really sets them up for success. So you had all of this, these, the, these youthful years um, acting, so to speak, this way because of a lack of supervision and a sense of belonging somewhere? Yeah, I was a bad kid. There's just no other way to put it wow. more succinctly. I was, I was a bad kid. I, got, I, I just did horrible in school. I, I re- didn't have a lot of authority figures. I didn't have a lot of role models around. And again, I, I ran with a pretty tough group in high school and one of them just got sucked into the Marine Corps. And that's, that's the story. And there you were. I like yeah. how, um, at least for the basis of your book, and you've mentioned it a few times here today, human connection. And that's the backdrop, in fact, for the book, right? Was that something that you noticed in real time that that, that, that was a component or in retrospect, were you putting those pieces together? In, in retrospect, absolutely. When I look back now, book, although the cover of it has this badass Marine on there and looks like he's going to kick your front door and do bad things in the middle of the night, which Marines are obviously trained well to do. The story really is about people and those that fought and those that supported us while we fought and the bloody streets that we fought in day in and day out, five, six, seven times in direct contact, the horrific aspects of war does really serve as a backdrop now to what has come to the front of the stage of this story about the people and this power of human connection where through my writing and sharing not only my story, but the stories of those who fought alongside me and the families, I get emails and instant messages and letters from total strangers, Josh, that reach out to me and and share how my story helped them in some way. And that has been something extremely humbling uh, for me as a, a as a person. But it's also created an opportunity for me as I travel around the country and, and speak to so many different organizations and, and share a part of my story. And every time I receive one of those emails, I always email them right back and, and there's hundreds of them. And I ask permission. I said, Hey, would you mind if I shared that story? Because I think it's really impactful. And that's a word that I use often in life is, is impact because as a person, as a, as a leader, as a, as an entrepreneur, you don't often think you're going to make an impact in someone's life. 
sometimes it takes five, 10, 15, 50 years. And you never see that result. And when those moments present themselves, you have to take stock in that and be extremely grateful that someone was willing to connect with you and share that. Because for me, that has been the best part of this process of, of my transition, not only from the military into the private sector and then becoming an artist and, and sharing my story and doing what I do now is to receive that type of feedback because awards and lists and, and selling a lot of books is, is not what it's all about. It's, it's about that power of human connection where people you know and people you don't even know will reach out and, and say how that affected them. That's such a valuable, important point about the impact we have as people, as humans, as business people, as entrepreneurs. Sometimes we might not ever know for 5, 10, 15 years or more. And that could be, that could be so frustrating and difficult for an entrepreneur when they're showing up each day, they're, they're serving, they're offering, they're doing, they're giving seemingly to crickets or to nothing but if there's a right if there's a trust in yourself that you know what this has to be helping somebody and you just stick with it the time is going to come where there's smoke there's fire and one person is going to reach out and say god you i I love that you really helped me see differently or do differently such an important point well tied to that comment is something that's really important as an entrepreneur and as somebody that jumped right into writing a book. I I wasn't an English major in college, by the way. I was a criminal (laughs) justice major, totally worthless degree in my profession, but uh, there was no math involved. So that's what I chose. But I I didn't know how, I was always a good writer. I was an artist. I was fine arts and as as a minor in college, but writing became this very portable medium. So I'd I'd written in college, I I wrote when I was in the Marine Corps, op-eds and some technical and doctrinal stuff and personal stuff. But a lot of people, especially in the veteran community and and some others will reach out to me now and say, hey, how how did you become a writer? Well, there's no magic formula. I, I Googled it, you know, this crazy thing the kids are all talking about on the interweb, Google, how to write a book, Google it. How many chapters are in a book? Google it. How many words are in a chapter? Google it. How to find an agent? Google it. And now when it comes down to it, I still get plenty of those emails, but there's also a a select few that will send me the right email. And for anyone that's trying to get into this, if you know published authors, you send them a sample, say, hey, would you mind giving me some comments on a couple pages I send you? You can't send them 200,000 word book and say, hey, can you help me with this book and how do I get it published? Those aren't the right questions to ask people in any community is you have to give them decisions to make so that they can help you or want to help you. And the first thing in doing that is doing the work. If you haven't even done the work, if you haven't finished the proposal or the business plan, which is the same thing as a book proposal, it's a business plan, your story or your product can be as great as you think it is, but if it won't sell to anybody and it's going to just die on the vine because there's an industry term we use in the writing community and it's, and it's technical. It's like, you know, why, why do I, why do I give a crap about this, this story? I mean, why do I care about another guy that's been in combat who lost his leg or his eye or suffered all this adversity? Why do I care or got divorced or was a heavy drinker? I've heard that story. Why is your story different? And 
that's something you have to sell. So you could sit at your computer and write the best book in the world, but if you're not willing to turn your cap around and put on your marketing hat and your promotion hat and understand that you, you are now an entertainer because people don't pick up books to be bored. They pick up books to be entertained. And if you're not ready to transition into that entertainment space, you're going to have a tough time and you're going to be disappointed because if you think that the publishing house and the marketing director and their publicist and your agent are going to do it for you, I got news for you. Even the biggest authors I've talked to, and we've talked to some big ones we've, on our podcast, like Greg Hurwitz, Orphan X, and, and so many others, those machines just don't last. They've got a, a finite amount of gas in their tank that they'll drive you down that road. After that, you have to be a business person and you have to be willing to share your story and understand that you have a brand. So when people transition from the military or they're trying to get into this, I think that they have to understand that first, that their story is important or their product's important. And then also go into that position and know what their value is and in, in their experience level. And I think a lot of people have a problem when I say, hey, Josh, what's your value? What is your hourly rate? If I said, hey, I need Josh Carey to come over to my house and consult me on X, what's your hourly rate? So many people, whether they've spent four years in a field or in the military or 24 years, they can't give me that answer. And to me, I'm stymied by that sometimes. Okay, first of all, if, if you're listening, rewind the last two to three minutes. That is, play that on loop. What you just said is so, so valuable. How do I become a writer? Um, and then getting the right mindset for that. It's not just about writing books. Take what Scott's saying and convert that to whatever your version of book writing is or isn't. And it's still true. And how to get people on your team. Hey, can you read this 200,000 word uh, thesis I wrote? Give me feedback. Like, I don't know you. That's not the way to enter the conversation. So much value. And even if it's just an exercise for yourself, as you said it, I've had my answer. I'm thinking of my answer. But whether you do or don't, if, if, if I wanted to hire you for an hour to help me through something, come over what is that rate? If you don't know it, come up with it and, and set it. Absolutely. Whether it's a product or uh, in the public speaking arena, it, you know, whatever your rate is in the first time you get asked to come speak to a group. And we'll talk about public speaking here because I, I do a lot of it and I love mentoring young guys and women that say, Hey, I want to do that. I have a story to share. I'm like, well, first develop a platform and, polish it, make sure that the product is good because you're the product. And the first time you get asked to speak, maybe it is for free. The next time they say, oh, we want to pay you an honorarium of whatever, $100. Guess what? Your speaking fee is now $100. And as you build that, you can negotiate what has value. So there may be an organization that's bigger that doesn't, isn't able to cover your fee but there's also value in that because now you're associated with this organization. It could be a big name organization. It could be a nonprofit. It could be a university. But to say that, well, I've spoken here or I've performed here or I've worked here, there's value in that because now young entrepreneurs who are trying to build their resume, they can now add that to the resume. So when you start your resume, it says has spoken or performed at the community 
theater or town hall and the Kiwanis Club or the local Veterans of Foreign Wars. And then you get asked to be on the KUSI News in San Diego. Now all those little things kind of fall off the bottom and the big things float at the top. So now when you're promoting your brand, you, Josh Carey or Scott Husing, whoever, now people see like, oh, well, this guy's been on a lot of big shows, big stages. He's got a lot of hits on his podcast. We definitely want this guy to come on board. So as an entrepreneur, you're increasing your brand. You're increasing your value in in what you do. And I think that stands for anything. And you're right. You could take it from what I do in the entertainment business and storytelling business to a simple product or an apparel company or whatever it is. But you have to believe in that brand. So I believe in my brand and what I, in the story I tell because it's my story. I didn't create it. I was a product of my environment and I always stay within my lane and I never profess to say that I'm the voice of the veteran community. I'm not. I share my story and I share it willingly with those who ask. I don't force feed it or jam it down people's throat. And I think that's an important thing is be good at what you know, write about what you know. It's, it's not hyperbole or it's not some cliche. If you're doing those things and you, and you love what you do, I think that's where the real success will come in life. And I've carried that through my career in the Marine Corps, 24 years. I can always teach young Marines a lot of things. I could teach them to shoot straighter. I could teach Lance Corporal Carey to run faster. I could teach him to train harder, but I could never teach him one thing. I could never teach you to care. And if you don't care about what you're doing, Mm -mm. it's all completely worthless in my opinion. And if you hit that point in your career or in your life, you really got to recalibrate and do a a self-assessment and figure out what is it that I love to do. And at the beginning and end of every day, for me, I love helping veterans. I love sharing stories. I like providing commentary. And that's what drives me. Now, in five years, if I don't love doing that, guess what I'm willing to do? Transition again. And every time I transition, it continues to build my resume, my experience, and everything I do. Let's talk about the C word, shall we? Confidence. It seems like today you're, you're certainly a confident man. I don't think anybody would argue that. And it also seems like that that word is, at all costs, a necessity in the Marine Corps. I'm guessing that it's extremely valuable, but not everybody has it out of the gate. Not everybody has the same amount. Is there, is there, is, is that something that is specific to the success of what you've spent 24 years doing confidence and how is it, how is it gained from your point of view? That's a great question. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything I ever consciously think about confidence. I, I believe that confidence comes through education and through preparation. If you, and everything I do personally, whether it's writing a 750 word op-ed for USA Today, I'm confident when I submit it because I know I've edited it. I've shopped it around to friends that say, hey, Josh, man, I'm writing this article about pet sitting or podcasting. and I need your opinion. And before I hit the send key to the editor at whatever publication, I'm confident because I know I've done everything I can to make it the best possible product. Every time I go speak in front of 
a crowd of 500 to 5,000 people, whatever. I rehearse physically to make sure that I'm prepared and I understand the material and I understand the needs of the audience. I don't just go in blindly. I didn't just hop on your show without asking you a few questions or going back to a few episodes of what you recorded. That preparation and that education and being a lifelong learner, that's what builds confidence. Uh, Being confident in your story or being confident in your product, that you believe in it, I think that's where true confidence comes in. And I think that that can be carried over into your personal life, your professional life, and anything you do, and especially in business as a young entrepreneur. Planning, research, education, and doing the work, that's all going to build confidence as you move forward in in whatever it is that you, you choose to do. And I've seen so many different examples, especially within my community of guys transitioning from the military into the private sector, who have gone on to be not just artists and authors, but tech startup guys to uh, apparel uh, entrepreneurs. I, I mean, you have a great friend of mine, Jeff Gum, lives up in LA, badass Navy SEAL, right? He owns Sunga Life, which is a Brazilian swimwear company that he started since February, I think, just on social media, on Instagram. He's got like 80, 100,000 followers and is blowing it out of the water. No Navy pun intended there. But, <laughs> you know, you look at a guy like that and, and it makes me proud, one, to be a veteran and two, to see that he believed in himself and he was confident in the product, but he also did the work and he has built a successful business. And I think that's one of the reasons why you can be successful. And, and I attribute that to my success is I didn't just stop when I submitted the manuscript for Echo and Ramadi. I continue to find new audiences that have never read this book. And I think that any book is brand new to everyone that's never heard of it. So if you haven't heard of Echo and Ramadi, it's because no one ever told you about it. There's plenty of books I pull off the shelf that were written in the 80s, 90s, because I, I, I was a horrible reader when I grew up. So everything's new to me. And I think that that, that applies to not only books, but people and products. You're human. I can see that right here. Um, Talking to us from the perspective of the 24 years you spent in the military, certainly you experience all the range of emotions. Um, how in the, in the course of every day when it's truly life or death, how do you handle and process and experience and work through the less than ideal emotions like fear, like confusion, like hopelessness? Well, the emotional aspects of it are at times pretty, pretty overwhelming, uh, especially when you're, you're, you're fighting and, and you're watching those you lead and, and love uh, get injured or, or killed. I mean, that's never an easy situation. And to have to write those letters and, and make those phone calls to the parents of our brave men and women, that those are always the toughest. And there's no class that you can take or no, no manual that you can read that's going to prepare you for that. But despite all of that friction, that, that indescribable pressure that you experience day in and day out in, in combat, I think, again, what we just spoke about is so valuable is that the training and the preparation and the understanding of the enemy that we fought, 
that all <clears throat> enabled us to succeed day in and day out as we fought this ununiformed, faceless enemy that blended in with the people of Ramadi, Iraq. It's a city of 300,000 people, and they fought amongst the people. And that was a challenge, uh, especially for an 18, 19-year-old kid, not, not a 35-year-old captain who had a lot of life experience and a few combat deployments and, and a lot more training. But for that young 18-year-old kid, that's a real challenge. But institutionally, organizationally, the Marine Corps and the military they do a phenomenal job of training these people for the worst situations. And I think that they succeed in that, not just through the training and preparation, but by those who they're surrounded by, knowing that they can count on the people they surround themselves by. And I think that that's the whole reason I'm here today is that whether it was in the Marine Corps or in my life now, I continually surround myself with great people. And I have calibrated my my person meter uh, to a, a very fine degree to know who I shouldn't be around as well. And, and I tend to, to cut those people out of my life as fast as I can. And I, and I have no shame in that because if they don't serve me and they don't support me, I understand now that my success is going to be hindered by being associated with those types of people. The Marines don't really have that problem because we are all in a sense, very like-minded and, and very mission-oriented to do what we do day in and day out. But I think I've taken all of those lessons and realized that that's what's made me successful today as an entrepreneur. And I love sharing that message. So another great reason to be on your show with you today is I wish I had a, a, a guy that had told me that 20 years ago or 25 years ago and I didn't. I didn't have those people in my life or mentors or whatever you call them. I, I don't like to use the word mentor. I, I call them friends. You know, friends are people willing to do stuff for you and, and give of themselves and their time, take you to the airport, pick you, pick you up when you need a ride. But those friendships, I think, and people who will be willing to share those stories of success are really important. But equally important, Josh, are the people in your life that you look up to that are willing to share the losses and the hard times where they failed. If you have people like that in your life that are willing to share the failures, not just the wins who say, yeah, I was successful. I, I bought this car and I've built this house. And I have this big ranch and I did this. Well, I, that's great, man. But what did you fail at? Because I'm only going to learn and not make those repeated mistakes through your sharing of your failures. And I think that's a very important lesson that a lot of people aren't willing to do like you you state ripping off that mask, mm -hmm. showing that vulnerability. And that's what I did in Ramadi. And I think whether 250 people read my book or, mm -hmm. or 200,000 people to share that part of myself, especially with those whom I led, they also now understand that, Hey, Scott Husing, although he didn't show it at the time as we fought, he, he was very human and it's made me more connected to those I led. And to this day, I think they realize, you know, he was a person and he's human just like everyone else. And at his level, he was dealing with a lot of different things that we didn't have to see and he protected us from. So it's, a, it's an important aspect of, of everything you do in life. The, the brand here, the hidden entrepreneur was founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding behind fear, using that as an excuse 
Can you share a time with us that comes to mind that you were faced with an abundance of fear, truly, and you could have gone one of two directions, but you knew the way you had to go? To give a specific example, there's probably thousands of them. I think if I'm going to be honest, and I always like to give a little bit of myself something different every time I do a, a show and I've done, I don't know, 300 and something in the last year, but I, I mean, everybody's afraid. I, I experience fear in, in daily life. I think everybody does to some degree, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're making a business decision or whether you're submitting an article and you think, man, is this going to be well received? But I think that there's always options for people to, I guess, redefine themselves and push through that fear. There's a lot of things I do now that I've never done before. And I could sit here and tell you war stories all day, but I don't think they resonate with everybody. I think in general, when you talk about overcoming fear, is people will see that fear in a, in a general sense, not just something. And I think I now view that through a different lens and those obstacles that are in the road are not roadblocks. They're just speed bumps that are going to slow me down. And I know that I'm going to push through that. And I know even through the <clears> worst <throat> situations, uh, through the worst of war and, and seeing the worst of the human condition and what war has to offer, I now have a different lens. And I think it, it's something I'm very grateful for. And I, I, I take stock in it because the things in daily life and what I do now, don't seem as daunting or as, as scary because I know that I've pushed through other things. But I'm always challenging myself at the same time, knowing that it, I can't get complacent. I can't just sit around. I have to stay physically active. I have to push out of my comfort zone. I have to try new things. And whether I'm good at them or not, I realize that failure is, is a scary thing. It's something that most people fear. But it, it is it is cliche, but I think once you challenge yourself to do those and if you fail enough times, um, trust me, <laughs> I approached a lot of agents uh, with my manuscript and got dozens and dozens of rejections. Every one of those brought me closer to my agent that said yes. And I think that that is, it is cliche, but it's true. And you have to do the work and you, you have to push yourself and not really compete with everyone else around you. Compete with yourself. Set the standard for yourself because it's all about the discipline you apply in your life that's really going to make you successful and having all of the training and everything you've done in, in the military or in, in the business sector is to have that daily battle rhythm to set a goal for yourself every single day and to push yourself and to do the work. If you're not accomplishing daily tasks, because I always have three, three is a good number. If I get three things done in one day, that's a win. So if it's responding to three emails or uh, writing a, a page, or that's, that's a goal. And I think if you do that every single day, I work out for an hour a day, I, I, I did something professional, I, I made a phone call, those, are, those count. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by the bigger picture and what they should or should not be afraid of. And I think that you know, this goes back into your question of, you know, what am I specifically fearful of? It's failure. I don't want to fail. So 
we as Marines, we love to win, right? <laughs> so I think that that's a driving uh, factor in everything I do and, and how I apply myself in daily life. How is spirituality or religion playing a part for you today? I think that my view on that has wow. No one's ever, no one's ever really dug dug into that. Uh, it's not off limits question, by the way. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I was an altar boy, Order of Saint Vincent, and very steeped in the Episcopal faith, which is like Catholicism <laughs> light for listeners that don't know <laughs> what Episcopals do. It's like all the religion and half the guilt, as we say. But uh, throughout my time and 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 experience and travel, I think probably my, my lens of what religion and organized religion is, has probably changed. And I think that faith in, in one being or one institution has probably evolved for me into having faith in people hmm. um, that believe in themselves, that believe in a higher purpose. I, I think that that in and of itself, whether you subscribe to one affiliation or, or not, is believing in, in people and believing people that, that care is probably the most important. And I think that those are basic tenets, whether you're reading the, the Bible or the Torah or the Quran, I, I think that that is the message. And I, I fully support anyone that chooses a life of faith, whether it's in the parochial sense and going to church every Sunday at at 10 a.m. or whatever you do and the genuflecting and bowing and all that. But I think there's others that serve themselves by, by having a, having this immense faith in the human condition. And I think that there's, I don't know, um, not to get too esoteric, but I think there's a certain religion in that. Hmm. Well, let's go um, a step further down this path. I'd love to get your um, feelings on this. Um, what do you believe happens when it's all over? when our time here on earth comes to an end? Wow, that is pretty deep. I wasn't uh, expecting that one, but uh, I, I like to think too from the, you know, I, I once asked a friend of mine who is a, a renowned physician, um, why do you think science is always trying to provide or to dispel the, the Bible and to find answers to those things that are in there? And that, I asked him, you know, for biblical writings, um, religious writings, the end all be all. And he gave me a great answer that I've carried with me for a long time throughout my life. And they said, it's a great guidebook for how to live your life, if, if nothing else. And I think that for me, having seen so many different components and different conditions of humanity, balancing this, the scientific with the spiritual and you know the the energy versus the ethereal i think is something that i probably don't have an answer to i don't think anyone can give you that answer uh, to to be quite frank uh, I, i'm hopeful that there's there's something else whether and again this this applies to anyone who's listening what in whatever religion is whether it's a a, a soulful spiritual release and a connection after the the machine dies or it's a, a release of energy back into the, the universe or whatever it is. I think that those are important aspects for people to believe in. If, if that's what you choose to believe in, because one of the things I'll say, having seen death uh, on a very grand scale um, 
in some of the most unfortunate conditions is mm. the military knows one or two things about diversity and acceptance. We are the smallest segment of the American population, yet we have the most diverse and religious, religiously diverse, racially diverse makeup in the entire country, if not the world, because of our acceptance of everyone's beliefs, everyone's, uh, you know, gender, everyone's uh, capabilities. And it's all based on being a, a demonstrated professional, the right person for the right job for the right reason, not about your skin color, not about your sexual orientation, not about your religion. All of those things are secondary because everything we believe in in the military and in the Marine Corps is about mission accomplishment and attaining the goal. So those are great things that anyone in life can use. And that's why the Marine Corps model for success and leadership has been, has been replicated by fortune 500 companies for so many years. It's, it's a proven model for success. It's not the model, it's a model. And I think that that's an important aspect that people can, can again, refer back to. Do and, and use that as a, as a template for success. Such a powerful, magnificent dialogue from start to finish here. Uh, looking at the, the whole, the sum of the parts here, what is the core message you want to leave the listener with? Well, we've talked from entrepreneurship to writing to my bad grades in high school to religion to life after in death in such a short amount of time. And I, yeah, we can uh, definitely a lot more material. But I always think that in the theme of your show is if there's one thing I would leave the listener with is try to be your most authentic self with anyone you relate to, both above and below. I think the real success comes from true authenticity and and trying to make that human connection and understanding that that type of connection that I'm speaking of, again, can be in varying degrees from an internet friend or somebody that ultimately shows up in your life that is willing to do something for you and, and make that human connection. I don't think in this day of social media and technology, we can discount that if it's used for the right thing. Um, but through all of those mediums, whether it's writing or business or, or technology, trying to be as authentic as possible is really what it's all about. And that is the true spirit of what I wrote about in Ekwer Ramadi was that power of human connection. It's an, it's an amazing thing that I, I think can't ever really be measured. And we do that not only through sharing ourselves, but yeah, I'm so fortunate to be the executive director of SaveTheBrave.org, where we're helping hundreds of veterans every year. And for those of you that are listening that want to find out more, go to SaveTheBrave.org. You can help out and volunteer and donate. And if you want to find out more about me, just follow me on Instagram at Ramadi. And the pictures and the connections and everything are, are, are great, but it's about the people. I think that's the theme. Wow. What a dialogue. I will leave you with this final question. Scott Husing, how would you like to be remembered? Well, I'm going to quote a good friend of mine and fellow Marine. His name's Josue Barone. He's actually one of my neighbors, and uh, he was blown up in Afghanistan. He's a uh, single amputee above the, above the knee, lost his left eye, and 
he said something extremely prophetic and, and I'll quote him is that I don't want to be remembered for all of the things that I did in combat for being a victim for, for suffering injury, loss of limb and PTSD. I want to be remembered for what I'm doing now and what I'm going to do in the future. And when Jose Josue said that to me, uh, as we were out golfing here in Southern California at, at age, you know, 28, that, that really left a, a, a deep impression with me. And I think that that's important for people is in life. If we're a true meritocracy, it's, it's not about what you've done. It's about what you're capable of doing. And that's why you will be promoted. That's why you will be successful. And that's why you'll continue to be happy because the, the friends aren't going to make you happy. The job's not going to make you happy. Being a bestseller doesn't make you happy. Making a bunch of money doesn't make you happy. You have to make you happy. And I think that comes through helping other people. Wow. This is truly extraordinary, truly a gift to have this dialogue with you. Uh, if you're listening and you didn't pick up on it, do get in touch with Scott. He is accessible. He just gave you the links. We'll post them around here. What a man. What a friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything well, you've done and everything you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great being on The Hidden Entrepreneur, man. You're doing great things. And I loved it that you just called me a friend. And I think that that's important. And I, I do the same. You're my friend. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be other opportunities that we create and, and share our, our networks. And I think, uh, it's again, not just a bumper sticker about the power of human connection. It's, it's an amazing thing. So thank you. I can't wait. Yes. Likewise. Thank you for being here. Thank you everybody for tuning in until next time. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.